Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to another episode of Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's going on? Derek, we're doing another interview um, because this is what the people really care about. So we traveled again, which I'm excited, but we're downtown. So we'll start with introductions and then we'll we'll jump right into the specifics of where we are. All right. Uh, I am Adam Rath. I am the bar manager here in Hydraulic Hearth. So you have a very awesome history, too. So let's start all the way back. Where, uh, where are you from? Are you from the Buffalo area? Uh, so, Western New York. So, I started in Rochester, um, moved around a little bit, uh, a couple different places, mainly New York, like New York State as a whole, and then I uh, originally came to Buffalo the first time to go to Niagara University. Oh, okay. And so, I was going there for a theater degree, um, eventually ran out of money, and that <laughs> led me other places. Um, I did uh, come back eventually again and ended up finishing that theater degree at Buff State. But uh, spent a lot of years working in theater in those periods of in time, um, sometimes outside of Buffalo, though Buffalo surprisingly was the place I stayed doing theater for a long time. Uh, I, I meant to move out after many years and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, New York, Chicago, all those places mm-hmm. people want to go. And I was talking to all my friends in New York who were working off Broadway and had three jobs trying to pay their bills because off-Broadway doesn't pay. Uh, no, seriously, it's awful. Like, it, it sounds, it's glorious, but sometimes it's like $500 for the run of a show. Really? Yeah, it's 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 rough. Like, you do it for the credentials. Sure. Uh, but I was talking to my friends, and I had, uh, had almost a five-year run in Buffalo where I made my living doing just theater. So... And- Oh, yeah. What type of theater? Like, w- when you went to school, what did you want to do when you graduated? Oh, my God. Uh, if I could have does- done Shakespeare my entire life, I would have just been content. Really? And, yeah, I mean, to most people who know me, like, you would not assume the classics were, <laughs> like, but, I mean, even uh, growing up in Rochester, like, the, you know, they'd do an old, like, Ibsen play, and I'd lose my mind. I'm like, <laughs> this is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> um, and even in Buffalo, I spent... I did uh, Shakespeare in the Park for about eight years straight. Actually, the only like the reason I haven't done Shakespeare in the Park in five years is actually because of here. Is that unfortunately taking two months off at our busiest time of the year to do shows six of the five nights were open doesn't really work very well. <laughs> True. Uh, but yeah, like doing Shakespeare in Delaware Park in Buffalo is one of my favorite venues ever. And like you just have that day where you'd look out and there'd be two thousand people on a hill. And some of them not even really paying attention. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, like, that's what I love. Like, that might have been their only excursion into theater in an entire year. And like, I've worked for very reputable theaters. Like, even once in my childhood, I got to perform at Lincoln Center. But there's something even cooler when it's just like a family and there's a kid staring up and like, this may be the only time they ever think about theater. And if I could have like, that, 
that was my favorite bits of theater. But other than that, you know, spent a lot of time working for Theater of Youth. Um, actually just did a show with them this year, weirdly enough. Um, yeah, Outsiders opened at the beginning of the year. But, um, yeah, Irish Classical. Uh, worked for a bunch of colleges doing choreography and, you know, uh, guest artists kind of teaching and things. And, yeah. That's fascinating. When you come into Hydraulic Hearth, obviously you know who you are if you ever come to this place because you're always here. <laughs> and you're like the center of the bar every single time you're here. But I would not have placed you in the theater. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. Oh, I, there's, there's still a handful of guests like every once in a while. Actually, oh, no. What's weirder than the guests who know me from theater is what's now that a lot of the kids I taught when they were younger are now old enough to drink. And... Like, it'll be some high school I did choreography for, like, 10 years ago. And a kid will be like, I know you. I know you. And, like, and when I say kid, like, a 25-year-old guy, like, ordering a cocktail. Uh, it's like, did you do choreography at Williamsville for The Hobbit? I'm like, yes, I did. I was that guy who came to your high school and taught you to hit your friends with swords and shields and things. So, wow. getting into that part, you kind of like this niche of acting too which is more of a stunt you want to explain a little yeah, bit more yeah. on that so, aspect you know like I, I i truly did start out as just traditional actor originally i was actually mainly musical theater mm. um that kind of transitioned to just straight theater after a while and um at some point in college i ended up taking a stage combat course and i wasn't anything particularly good at it or impressive until we got to the second semester and it involved swords. And suddenly I was very quickly one of the top people in the class and professor at one point just couldn't figure out why and like I grew up as a fencer. So the moment you put a sword in my hand, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. I like, I don't know how to throw a punch to save my life, but I know how to hit a guy with a sword. That makes sense. And uh, as time went on, like I've studied a lot of different martial arts and different things. So like now I do know how to throw a punch mm -hmm. and I spent a lot of time teaching people. But as time went on, Shakespeare in particular was like, you know, you cast Hamlet because he can do Hamlet. Mm -hmm. You cast Laertes because he can make Hamlet look like a great fighter when they have to do a duel after five hack acts of Hamlet being Hamlet. So you, if you go through like the entire, you know, kind of catalog of Shakespeare, the majority of the small parts who fight and get killed, I have played. Really? Oh yeah, just like, it, it, well, it makes a lot of sense to t cast a guy who knows how to fight. Like, you know, like Richard III, my God, you, you need to have a slightly older actor who's supposed to have a hunch on his back now, who's been talking for three hours, and then all of a sudden, a young guy shows up at the end of the play and has to kill him. Like, who's really got to carry that fight? You're like, oh, uh, we got that guy who knows how to use a sword, we'll just make him play it? And so after enough years of doing stuff like that, um, I started getting asked to come in and choreograph instead of just fight. And that's, that was around the time that I started transitioning to the bar world, which was kind of a weird transition. But, um, yeah, so it's been, it's, it's been nice of, like, I never had to leave theater entirely behind. And I, I don't tend to act very much anymore, but I choreograph usually at least 20 shows a year between various theaters, occasionally colleges and high schools. Uh, every once in a while, uh, some small film will come through and I get a chance to go do some stunt work or something, but... It's been nice because, you know, that was my original love, but there was a point in, you know, not to get too verbose or go into a whole different thing, but, like, I can actually, like, I even remember the moment I realized everything shifted in my head. 
and I was uh, I was doing Death of a Salesman at Irish Classical, which like great show, love it, always wanted to play Happy. I was super excited, and found that the stack of books at my you know dressing station in the back was a bunch of cocktail books. And I looked over at one point, and like my friend who was also in it, he was sitting there reading plays and scripts for upcoming projects. And I realized that something in my head had entirely switched that this little side thing I was doing of like, you know, bartending and doing cocktails had completely just in my brain overtaken this other part of my life. And I hit a year where I decided to just not act. And I stepped back from acting for a little bit and said, I'm like, I'll do do some choreography still. But I decided to actually just go headlong into bar management. And that was actually, that was now about 10 years ago, I left working at a corporate restaurant uh, to go open the first bar program I helped open. And that was the lodge 10 years ago. Really? Yeah. Which hold on. The lodge was it. That's 10 years old. Oh, like it, I mean, it's been closed for five or six now. That's but really that, that, that that's was a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, that okay. was almost that was almost ten years ago that I opened that. Wow. And um, and originally, I it was partially like the original um, front of house manager, general manager, was my best friend, and so she was opening that, and like her and I had toyed with the idea of me coming on as the bar manager, and so. We agreed that we'd give it a try. We didn't, like, we didn't say that we knew each other. And I went in and applied for the bar management job and, like, met with the owners and they hired me. And then after they hired me, we turned to them and said, oh, by the way, we're best friends. Whole interview, we acted like we didn't know each other. Um, There's the acting coming in. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also, (laughs) you you don't want that, like, weird nepotism. Technically, it's not nepotism because it's not family. But, you know, so that was the first one. And, like, the first couple years of the lodge were great. You know, it, like it, it took a hard turn somewhere after that, and luckily I wasn't there for those years. Like, you know, but I, you know, the first two years was I liked that program and it taught me a lot. Yeah. And um, left there and ended up uh, coming on to a place called Handlebar, right outside of Larkin here, and worked on kind of building up that name and that reputation for a while. At which point that led me here because I ended up friends through theater with the original bar manager here uh, we met doing a show he had moved back from San Francisco and he decided you know he missed doing theater after a year of opening a bar so he signs on to one show there's a big fight scene in it so the theater calls me to choreograph it and at one point in the middle of a break um, we're on break for a second and a bartender of mine calls to like ask me the specs for something I start walking through the recipe at which point the guy, Chris Gilmet, just kind of leans over my shoulder after the phone call. He's like, Mr. Rath, what do you do for a living? <laughs> Which, if you know Gilmet, that's exactly how he talks. I love the man dearly. Uh, but we ended up becoming friends. And so after about a year of this place, he had two really young kids at the time. And, like, the, the schedule's brutal on a family. And so he left to go to the rep side. And so I got a call from him right at the time I was leaving the other bar asking me if I was interested in this program. And now I've been here for five years. So when did the cocktail, you, you mentioned you had a stack of cocktail books. So when did your love of cocktails really show up? W- was it like you just got done working, which that's an extremely long day in theater. Yeah. And you just went home and you just enjoyed 
that entire thing? Like you enjoyed cocktails and different whiskeys, or you know, honestly, like I, it kind of started from a farmer's market in a weird way of like what? So I, like, <laughs> the, 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 I, it makes sense yeah, in a second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like <laughs> so before before I kind of moved into that like I, I was still working at like Bar Louie like one day a week sometimes two if I was in, in shows and stuff and you know corporate cocktail bar like you know wasn't the most original place in the world but I found that just about every Saturday I would go to the farmer's market and buy my groceries and things and usually find one little fun herb or vegetable and stuff like that and it just would find its way to the bar with me that night and then I'd make a random cocktail because I thought it was fun and I was just curious and then a bunch of the bar guests would then drink that cocktail, and then the next week would happen, they'd ask me what I was playing with, and this happened for a couple months until people were actually coming in to see what I was going to make. At which point, you know, real true rookie bartender mistake, I definitely created several things that were just classic cocktails, and I didn't know. You're like, oh, I, I made this cocktail, it's awesome, and years later I'm like, I made a classic cocktail that had already existed <laughs> for about 80 years. And that's kind of where I started realizing that, like, I should know a little bit more. And so I started reading cocktail books to kind of learn these classics. And and then that just kind of caused me to go deeper and deeper. And then the history of cocktails started getting into it. And, and now there's, on the bar behind, uh, on the shelf behind the bar, there's now just cocktail books of history. Like, there are distiller's manuals from the 19th century back there like even like one of my most cherished books is a book called wormwood which is kind of like the equivalent of reefer madness for the history of absinthe of like a propaganda piece that is so central to everything that went wrong in that history and like and those were the things that just started to overtake my mind and then i just found myself going deeper down that rabbit hole and uh actually like at the time when i mentioned being in the dressing room it was um I think it's Amy Stewart, but the the drunken botanist, that little like green book that you find on mm-hmm. most cocktail bars, like it is just this weird collection of like botany and history and classic cocktail recipes, and I just was enamored with it. And oh, that's the, crazy. So the the cocktail scene here at Hydraulic before you got here mm-hmm. was it is it similar to what it is now or did you take your love for cocktails and just completely change everything uh no actually uh i I definitely didn't change change it has grown a lot in the time but when i first came on like i i I built off of what gilmet put in like gilmet already had a cocktail program like and he had a full barrel aged cocktail program on the menu which is something that has now become a big part of our menu there have been a lot of things that have been added to it but it all it all built off of what he was doing and and at the time, it was we were both running two cocktail programs that were very similar. So, which is why I think Gilmet wanted me to come on because I think you know, for years I used to joke that like this was his baby until I had been here more years than he was, and then I said it was my baby. Uh, but that was why I think he was so interested, and I think why Harry, the owner here, was so interested in getting me on was that I didn't want to change it. Sure. Like, I liked what he did. Like, there wasn't, you know, this was one of those things where you brought in someone because the program was failing. Like, he wanted to spend time with his family, and he wanted someone who was going to take care of his program. Mm -hmm. And so, in the five years I've been here, we have expanded a lot into various types of bottled cocktails. Like, you know, we put in a slushy machine outside two years ago, and I had to learn kind of just, like, all of the science and chemistry of what freezes and what doesn't. Mm. 
and you know like there's a there's a refractometer in the back so I can measure the bricks content to know that my cocktail is actually going to freeze out like each one of these things was built just because we're like oh this would be cool oh that would be cool too like oh and then we have a special event and like you, you know we do something for a special event you're like we could kind of do that all year long couldn't we sure. and so it's it's become a very broad cocktail program it's one of the way, ways I refer to it a lot of times is that we are an everything program. Mm-hmm. I sometimes envy friends who run a whiskey bar or a tequila bar or things like that or because we're not. Like, there's there's shelves of everything up there, like, from all, like, the standard spirits to all the weird spirits. And we do classic cocktails. And I definitely do things that are not classic cocktails. And we have a barreled program and a bottled program and a slushy program and then 20 to 30 different special <laughs> events in a year. I, the entire cooler, like the entire walk-in cooler has boxes shoved across the top of it, all labeled with different pop-up things. Mm. So there's a box that's labeled Tiki, one that's labeled New Orleans, one that's labeled uh, Bavarian Winterfest of all these events we've built up over five years. And I don't think any one of us could have foreseen these things to happen if we had just tried to hit the ground running with them. Sure. To your point, it is interesting because... When we were first setting up, I took a general look. Mm-hmm. And you literally have, like, gins, vodkas, four roses, scotch, Japanese whiskey, all next to each other. And for us, yeah. like, I'm staring at it like, hold, what, hold on, hold on. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what would I order? And then you have, like, really higher-end bourbons that most people don't have at all. And you're kind of sitting there like, well, I kind of want that, but then I never had that, never heard of that. So how do you find these? Like, where, <laughs> like distribution-wise, like, who do you call? Like, well, you must have a guy. So, th- so that's actually one of the big ones for us of, like, it- it's always problematic of, like, I'll have someone at the bar be like, oh, I love that. Like, where can I get that around? And sometimes my answer is I have no idea because over the years I have a penchant for some oddball liquors. You know, once you look in the gaps between all those things you recognize, you'll see, like, that Japanese whiskey, you're like, is that Indian whiskey? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a, you know, single malt whiskey from India. Like, in between the gaps are all the weird things. And those are my favorite things. <laughs> but they also tend to be through really small distributors. So, sure. like, I'll end up finding a product I want, and then I find out it's only distributed by, like, a small company out of New York City. And then we sign a distribution thing with them, and I order that product. And then you ask me where to get it, and I'm like, I don't think it's anywhere else in Western New York because no one uses that distributor. And yeah, yeah, like there is, um, there's a distillery out of Chicago called Letherby that is one of my absolute favorite distilleries. I have followed them through about six or seven different distributors in the years that I've carried their product. And the amount of uh, distributors I've worked with just because I'm like, oh, damn it, they moved distribution again. (laughs) (laughs) And the last time they moved distribution to, like, this small distributor out of New York City where, like, I called the office phone and it was, like, the one guy's cell phone and they have, like, two employees. And so, like, I just was looking at one point. I'm like, okay, so what's your order minimum? They're like $500. I'm like, so I bought $500 worth of the one product. (laughs) And it was like... I'm going to use it. Like, I know I'm going to go through it. It was in a cocktail on the menu, but it's one of those things like normally I'd buy like a few bottles. Instead, I'm like, there's a giant order limit now because it's in this small distributor that has like nine products. What is your favorite spirit? 
absinthe. Okay. I mean, like, not as, like, an everyday thing. Like, if I'm just, like, sitting at home drinking something, like, no. But, like, absinthe is one of my favorite flavor flavors. Like, it's one of my favorite things to play with in cocktails. And the history is one of the richest. And that's actually, like, one of my favorite little tidbits about hydraulic is in the five years that I've been doing the cocktails, we have never put out a cocktail menu without an absinthe an absinthe flavored cocktail of some kind. Like sometimes it's an absinthe derivative, mm-hmm. like, you know, Malort, but there's always been an absinthe forward cocktail on the menu of the entire five years I've been here. Wow. Just because that's what you're passionate about? Because it's fun yeah. too. <laughs> and it like and it has a mystique to it. Like there, there, there's there, like Anytime you see absinthe on a menu, everyone, like, a lot of people kind of, even if they, like, once you get past the people who are like, I don't like anise, I would debate, it's so much more than anise, but once you get past that thing, people are like, what about this absinthe cocktail? It's like, there is a mystique and an allure, and it's just fun to lean into Mm -hmm. sometimes. But. I'm thirsty. (laughs) I mean, there's just, there's too much going on. Like, I, I love this place, but speaking of where we are. Um, let's let's dive into this building and how you've basically occupied this space and made it home. Because in reality, there's it's very open, but it also feels super cozy. So, what was the transition like of kind of picking how you wanted things and the layout, and then because obviously the bar is the main staple, but the rest of it also fits in really nicely. Well, a lot of that is actually uh, the the owner, Harry. Uh, Harry has a very, very particular kind of design look. If, like, so, you know, and, like, that is part of the, the Zemskis who've really been foundational to this entire area. But um, Harry has a particular look. And so if you go into Swan Street Diner, that is Harry's as well. And uh, if you were at Angelica, that was another one. And it is very much kind of this, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. Wallpaper is always a part of it, mm-hmm. but it, like it's it's kind of that. It's clean, but it's classic. It's more open. Like honestly, the the most cluttered part of this bar is entirely my doing, and it's the bar shelves. <laughs> and you know, I have crates of random papers and notes and books and all sorts of stuff, and that's all that's all me. Um, but yeah, all of this was really out of Harry's head, and uh, yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta go to the bathroom. Oh yeah, weird weird thing for me to say out of random, but they have wallpaper in the bathroom, and it is like an attraction point of this place. <clears throat> What's up with the phone booth? Ah, the I mean I I, can, I can't say with a hundred percent sureness, but it's the smallest art gallery at least in Western New York, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the seven one six gallery. So it you know it it's. Uh, the exhibits change depending. Sometimes they'll be there for a month, maybe up to six months. But uh, Leslie Zemsky curates with different local artists, and there's always a selection of pieces of art, sometimes for sale, sometimes for not. Usually, like, even if you go in there and pick up the phone, certain exhibits have utilized the iPad sitting in front on the phone, and you pick up the earpiece, and you can it'll start telling you a story about the art. So it's actually just a really, really fun small art gallery. I'm fascinated. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many corks, but they're all functional. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's that's kind of what this this whole place is. Is it's it's meant to be a little bit more, you know, it, it, it's experiential. It's about 
getting together, like you notice, like there's no TVs. Yeah. You know, and actually, that's one of my favorite things of yeah. like. Every once in a while, I get that person. We, you know, we'll be sitting at the bar and like, well, you know, you're never going to do business if you don't have TVs. Like, I, we're doing okay without TVs. Yeah. But the short is like, there are plenty of bars. Like, like I, I'm a big fan of going to the bar to watch sports. Like, I, you know, for every you know, football game I can watch, I swing up to Coulter Bay and, <laughs> you know, I sit there and I watch my game and I get my beer and I'm very excited. But I also like, to the places that I go watch games at. If I have a friend I haven't seen in two years come into town, those aren't the places I go. I'm like, I don't right. catch up with a friend watching a football game all the time. Like, I want to come to a place like this where we actually sit down and chat and see how our lives are. And so that's kind of what this has been is like a, a, a meeting place. And that's really what Larkin Square is in its own way, too, is that, you know, especially with all of the summer events and like the concert series, it's just a it's a place to bring community together. Yeah. So talking about Larkin quick. And the formation of this building and the name of it. Uh, can you do you know the history of why it's called the hydraulic hearth? So, you know, one of the things is this would be we'll, we'll be celebrating six years in November, and so if you think about how long it takes to open a bar, you know, this was being discussed about two years before that, and so while the process was being thought about of making a name, the area we're in Larkinville wasn't quite coined yet. Historically, the last thing this neighborhood was, was the hydraulics. So while it was all being made and Larkinville as we know it now was being built up around it, it was called Hydraulic Hearth. About the same time this got built and everything took off, then you had Larkin Square and Larkinville and everything, and the name of this, the former name of this as the hydraulics got kind of lost in the switch, but it's a nice kind of, it's a nice kind of anchor to the origins of all this. Right. This is a sweet spot. And you you have to come here because this is it's so interesting to watch the clientele change throughout the day. Like oh, yeah. you get, I mean, we also have to talk about the outside. And you just started doing lunches like two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like you never used to do lunches. Yep. Friday lunch. But you would have like the corporate people coming from the extremely corporate area with Key Bank and M and T Bank, and then everybody else that occupies these buildings. And then it slowly transitions into this awesome environment that isn't clubby at all. It's a it's this is somewhere that you go to like put on a good like your not your sunday's best like because you're not wearing a suit and tie or anything but you come here to hang out and like just embrace everything Mm -hmm. and not with this clubby vibe which is to me is my favorite part of this spot oh yeah i mean that's the the clientele here has always been one of the fun things and like you know it's a dumb little thing Uh, but like one thing that i've consciously made a point of for the years and it's like we, we all have our ways like that we reflect the place we are in and where we work. And if you come in here, it's relatively common that you'll see me wearing a denim shirt. And it's it, like, that is just who I am. And like, that's how I like to dress. But over a period of years, like it almost kind of became, it became like my personal uniform. And even when I get to go do like, you know, national cocktail events, like I make it a point of wearing a denim shirt. And it's partially because, like, that is this bar and that is the concept and that is where I come from of you'll have guys from M&T Bank sitting next to a guy in, like, a bill shirt and flip-flops. And that's the dynamic. Like, one guy's wearing a suit and the other guy's got, like, flip-flops and a bill shirt on. And they both might be drinking blue lights Mm -hmm. or they both might be drinking cocktails. And that's just kind of what it is. Like, that's Buffalo in a nutshell of, like... 
it is this weird color, blue color sort of thing where like the guy who takes out your trash and the guy who runs the company may just share a blue light and talk about a football game. Right. And that's that, it, that's why, like, I say it's a dumb thing, but that's why whenever I do cocktail events in other cities, like, I still wear a denim shirt. It's that little homage to the type of program I run and the place I come from. That's awesome. So this place is obviously also known for the wood-fired pizzas. Yeah. What was, do you know the the story or the reasoning behind why they went wood-fired for this place? Oh, God. I would love to say that I know why, but, yeah. like, it's just... Eek. I, I, I like. I'm sure. I'm sure Harry came across something and decided that was the thing he needed. But that has just been a part of this program since the moment I first heard about it, and I guess I've never actually questioned why. It's it's interesting <laughs> because just recently you started adding different items to the menu, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you want so, to talk about that? Oh yeah. So we just uh, we added some uh, pasta to the menu, starting to expand out there. Um, we added some like hoagie style sandwiches to the menu. So we're really starting to play with a little bit more of those things of just not stepping away from pizza, but offering a few more options. Sure. I have to ask, what was the, also the thought process behind changing it from this rectangle slices to now a traditional pizza slice? Because that got people up in arms, man. You guys are known for the rectangle slices. I know. I'm here way too much, Mike. Don't worry about it. Well, part of it was like the, the square style cutting it, it's, it shares better. You have more mm-hmm. pieces and like it's relatively common that you you know people get together and share a lot of this and like even if there's five people ordering five pizzas, it's very rare that they're each eating their own pizza. Right. And so we we did the rectangles for a long time because it just it, it is more friendly to large groups of sharing. But after a period of time, a lot of people wanted to be able, especially with how thin the crust mm-hmm. is, to kind of do that little fold. Sure. And you can't do that little fold in squares. You can only do it in triangles. Yeah. And you put some awesome stuff on it that just weighs it down if it yeah. is that long rectangle. Yeah. So, yep. So the outside portion. Mm-hmm. When I feel like that also took shape relatively recently where it wasn't there from the start, right? Oh, uh, so I wasn't here the first year. Mm-hmm. But as far as I believe, like, the patio has been here since the very beginning. Really? Yeah. It, I, oh, it was up and running when I got here, by sure, for sure. And, like, uh, it's – what we've been able to offer out there has grown over sure. the years. Yeah. And that's really what I think a big change happened is was, you know, originally on the outside it was just taps. Mm-hmm. So you just had the, the tap beer, at which point, like, if you wanted a cocktail or a mixed drink or all the other things, you have to come back inside. And – probably about three years ago now that's where I started getting that was the whole reason for the bottled cocktails was that you know like after working too many shifts outside of telling someone like I'm sorry you can only get the cocktails inside like we tried to find a solution of how can I offer cocktails on a bar that truly doesn't have the ability to make cocktails like we don't have dump sinks like there's there's not enough space I don't have anywhere to put the bottles so instead of the way we make cocktails to order inside we started with a few classics, so Moscow Mule, Paloma, Pimm's Cup, Mai Tai, Singapore Sling, and they everything is made in-house, everything is still made from scratch, but it's juiced, it's force carbonated, and then bottled, so you could get out there and be like, oh, I wanted, I was hoping to get the old dog new tricks, but I can get you a Moscow Mule. And it was, I just, I felt terrible when people would queue up in line for, you know, a couple minutes just to find out they couldn't get the thing, mm-hmm. so it, like, it, it, 
it is hard sometimes to have a slightly different menu outside than inside, but it's still been built on trying to offer as many of the same, as many of the same things, or as at least something that's analog to, uh, not analog, analogous, analog, analogous. Oh man, analogous. Thank you. <laughs> Either way, I wasn't going to guess. Brutal. Just so we're all tracking. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fun if they were analog. Like, yeah, I, I, I would love to have an entire like just my record player out there just completely go analog but you know not really no, no. <laughs> so one of the coolest events that i've been to here and i, I want to talk about the various events that you guys do here too is they had a hendrix gin truck outside where they were literally cutting the cucumbers right there right yeah oh it was so, fascinating man so um so that that's uh william grant and sons and so they have a Hendrix truck that drives. So the the William Grafton Sons thing is uh, is relevant because the year after we actually had a giant monkey shoulder truck. I don't know if you caught that one. Really? Yeah, that one is a giant cement mixer that you can pour cocktails out of the back of the giant cement mixer. But they're both owned by William Grafton Sons, and for whatever, like they they send these things all over the country, and you know they they go to different cities every year, so they're you know. There's only so many days and so many places they can be booked. And also, you know, you can't really do it at least six months out of the year in Buffalo. So there's a short window. Uh, But we ended up getting a call that they were interested in bringing that truck to Buffalo. And a rep I knew was then they ended up talking to them and like, I have a bar who I think would be interested. And so I sat down with William Grant and Sons and we actually had a nice conversation. We got him to bring it out here. And if you ever see the truck, even it's just like, you know, uh, Type it into Google real quick, pull it up. It's like this Rube Goldbergian truck where even actually they, a man can hop up on top and there's a bike on top of it and start pedaling away and the wheels will start spinning and it will slice cucumbers and then it has like a little chute and you could take your drink up to it and it'll drop cucumbers into your cup. It's ridiculous. It's entirely <laughs> unnecessary and amazing. Yep. Yeah, so we, we, so we had that. We had a whole uh, Hendrix event here for one day where like, no matter what, like we had cocktails inside. We I did a whole variety of uh, gin, like more like Spanish style gin and tonics outside. But the whole point was at, at every point where I'm like, we weren't cutting cucumbers because people would be like, oh, well, can I get a cucumber in there? I'm like, yes. Head outside. Go to the truck. <laughs> and you, you had a few people who looked at you like you're insane. Of like, why are you sending me to a truck in your beer garden for a cucumber? But it was a hundred percent worth it. And. It- that's one of the events, but what about the other events too? Because you do a ton of them. Oh, we do, we do a lot, and so some of them are little pop up events like that, where they'll be focused, hyper focused on a brand. Sometimes they're focused on an event, like our Festivus party or our, our office party, which is based off the show The mm-hmm. Office. Um, nice. There's a made up German holiday we celebrate in January, and that was uh, oh yeah, well because I, originally I was looking to do an event with Jägermeister. And I was looking to do like a German winter beer garden thing, and we were looking at January. And so I was started looking for any German holidays in January. And if you look at the German calendar in January, the only thing is Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is an awful bar event. Yep. And so <laughs> we eventually sat there and we just kind of started spitballing different ideas until we created Bavarian Winterfest which sounded like a real holiday. And so for years, we've just been celebrating Bavarian Winterfest in January. And honestly, one of the greatest moments that I've ever 
been told by a guest that they were disappointed by something was had to have been like the second or third year I had uh, like I, after bartending outside for the whole event I move inside and I'm doing something I end up talking to some lady at the bar and I asked her what, how's everything she's like well it's okay she's like I was a little disappointed I'm like oh I'm sorry why she's like well I'm German so I grew up with Bavarian Winterfest and this just wasn't a traditional Bavarian Winterfest so I nodded and walked away so happy I'm like I just got someone just complained to me that they were disappointed that my made up German holiday wasn't traditional enough when yes it's wild people will complain about anything oh yeah but it like like, not that you ever want someone to complain but it's just like I'm like this was made up and she thinks it's a real thing so good it is so funny but so, like that's one of my favorites. Though actually, one of my absolute favorite events we do in an entire year is uh, something called Cocktail City. Uh, it, it ends up being a moving dot of a date because it's a collaboration with seven bars and seven distilleries. So it's kind of like, does this date work for you? Does this date like sure. you know? So, so it's it's moved a few times. But um, local bars and distilleries. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it the numbers have changed over the years because it was a originally built to showcase all of the local distilleries okay so the first year i want to say there were six of them you know in the years like we've been doing this four or five years now and like so we've lost a few over the years and gained other ones but the idea was to invite all of the local distilleries and then partner them with a local cocktail bar and then you randomly draw a concept so like you know to use an example so like uh, i want to say last year you know, you draw them all out of a hat, and Hydraulic Hearth drew Honey Falls Distilling Company and New Orleans. And so I did a whole New Orleans pop-up only featuring their spirits. Oh, cool. And each one of the bars, and like so some of the concepts can be tiki and futuristic, and, you know... Um, oh, God, what are all the concepts? They've changed a couple times over the years, like European. Um, but it, it's great, so we've had... We've had um, Vera, Buffalo Proper, Lloyd, Billy Club, Mezke, uh, Marble and Rye. If I'm forgetting someone, I feel awful. Um, but it, it, it's it's one of the it's a logistical nightmare for me. But it is still it is still one of my at well because I'm one of the bars participating. Sure. So there's seven pop up bars on the outside, including one of them that I'm personally running. And my inside bar is still functioning, and everyone's coming for this. It is my biggest nightmare of the year, but it's so much fun. And so then we just, you know, we sell tokens. So each one of the bars is making however many cocktails in that concept, and you can just buy as many tokens as you want and try a cocktail from here and try a cocktail from there. And you can have, you know, Billy Club's literature cocktail. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a great time. And then all the bars and, like... All the bars send their guys, and actually, it's it's fun because a lot of you know, like you know, Yuri over at Lloyd, he should be at his bar on a Saturday night, but he's nice enough to take off and just come hang out with us and play at the bar. So you get a lot of people that you don't often ever get together on a Saturday night, and we're all just playing and getting a chance to showcase the local spirits. And so, and so that's where, like, like I mentioned, Honey Falls for the last one of like that's where we've been able to broaden it a few of like the last time we were looking for a new local distillery. Well, it, we had had seven people the year before, but one of the distillers went out of business, so I'm like, let's get Honey Eye Falls in there. If we had more space, I'd love to get, like, you know, St. Lawrence Spirits. Like, I saw you guys yep. met with them the other day. Like, yep. I love them. We just 
unfortunately our patio is only so big and I think we can only do about seven tables before we max out <laughs> so who who came up with that whole was that you like you just you were washing uh, a dish one night and you came up with this crazy I'm thing I'm pretty sure that was a Harry and Corey Moscato from Lockhouse nice. yeah yeah uh it originally started with them. Which one of them originally came up with the idea? I have no idea. But at some point, a conversation with them spawned into this whole idea, and then we've been doing it. And it, it, there's there's been a lot of these where they all just started out as a funny idea that someone said one time, and then actually became a real thing. Uh, like I, I've been I've been pushing for an Arrested Development theme party for years, but uh, oh, nice someday, someday. <laughs> someday. Uh, <laughs> We, we, we almost Cinco de Cuatro once and then went back and watched that video and the origins of Cinco de Cuatro are a little questionable and we're like, no, that's a terrible idea. Uh, maybe we will do Arrested Development someday, but not Cinco de Cuatro. Not that one. Yeah, so those moments where you're like, oh, that's a funny thing in the show and then you go back and you're like, ooh, that's a little too on the nose. No, <laughs> nope, nope, hard pass. But it's awesome. But yeah, there, there, there tends to be a little bit of like, if it's fun, it there's a pretty good chance we're just going to give it a go and like see see, see what happens mm-hmm. so you clearly have this love for cocktails <laughs> and I have this well first of all we have this section in our normal show where we um, highlight a local cocktail that we like because we know that not everybody likes co- or likes bourbon neat mm-hmm. so what would be your recommended go to bourbon cocktail oh so th- the big thing I would I would ask people first is like is the question if you want to go down like the stirred path or the shaken path sure and you know like if you're someone who wants to taste the whiskey then you know you can't go wrong with the old fashioned like that that is I am very proud of our old fashioned like we've actually been making our own old our own old fashioned bitters for about five years now four years now four years <laughs> um, but you know Lion's Tail is another one of my personal favorites and that's, you know, when you get that person who's, like, getting into bourbon, but they're probably not ready to drink it neat, of, like, Lion's Tail is probably my favorite shaken bourbon cocktail. Sure. Uh, I have a soft spot for Paper Plane. Oh, yeah. That's, that, that's, I'm not a big citrus guy. Right. But Paper Plane's one of those oddball exceptions, and I'm like, I don't really care for citrus that much, and I really, really like this one. <laughs> so, can you talk a little bit about the difference between shaken and third, and really why would you, why would you do one oh, over the yeah. other? Uh, so, you know... One of the biggest things is uh, anytime you incorporate juice into a cocktail, you're going to shake. Okay. And it, it's really just the fact that, like, stirring citrus juice is never going to cause it to mix up as well. And also, it changes the texture in the mouthfeel. So, I mean, even if you ever, you know, even just pineapple juice will do it a lot, but even just something with lemon juice, like, when you see it's been properly shaken, like, the first minute you get it, it's got that little bit of film on it. And, like, the texture of that is tremendously different. And, you know, stirring it, you know, you're really, like, you're getting to the temperature, you're hitting the dilution, but you're not agitating the ingredients. And you get that velvety kind of feel to a proper shaken cocktail with good citrus. Um, And then, but the big thing of why I ask people if they like a stirred cocktail or a shaken cocktail is that dilution point. Mm -hmm. And especially, like, like, I'm someone, you could take any booze off the shelf and I can just sip it right in a glass. I'm good to go. But I have been sipping booze for God knows how many years. So I'm a little desensitized. Sure. I am not surprised when there are some people like, that's a little hot for me. And like, that's totally fair. And so, you know, years of drinking cocktails and sipping things like, you know, 
shaken cocktails are your good starting point. And as you get a little bit more used to consuming just kind of hotter and hotter booze, like booter, I like booze hotter drinks. Yep. That's where you want to start moving to those stirred cocktails where you're really getting a better expression of just the alcohol. <clears throat> so for you, if, if you're at home and obviously you're not going anywhere, always drink responsibly. What's your proof point for you for like a nice everyday sipper? Uh, usually in that 50% or 100 proof like that I'm I'm already at that like slightly overproof category and like you can start getting to like 60% 120 proof and I'm still okay with that wow um and you know whatever I'm broken like I I, and I I I 100% get that and like so you know like I actually um I have a cognac at home that is it's a cask strength cognac which is really uncommon and i think that's super cool uh-huh. because you get like i mean it, it's it's oily on the palate it's it's strange it's all these things you never get in cognac and i remember sipping it one time and i was saying how good it was and my girlfriend asked if she could try some and reached over and took it and which point that spawned a coughing fit for like two minutes <laughs> and i i will never ever hand someone something like that who does not already like overproof spirits. Sure. You know, it's like like a, we have a bunch of cast-strength bourbons on the bar. And anytime someone's asking for it, like if you're like, oh, can I get that Maker's Mark? I always make sure, like, just so you know, that's cast-strength. And that's the difference of, like, I'm, I think regular Maker's Mark is 43%, but, like, you're going from 43 to 62% alcohol. That's a big jump. <laughs> and, like... The worst thing is when you see someone take a drink and they're just begrudgingly going through it because they're miserable. And it's like, I, there's a point where like, you know, it's 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 not a pissing contest. Like you can like things that are lower. Like <laughs> right. if you like a just standard proof bourbon, like then like a standard proof bourbon. Right. You like you, you don't get any bonus points because you suffered through a drink. Mm-hmm. So you do create the cocktails that are on the regular menu. Yes. Okay. And when when somebody comes in. To get a cocktail, do you prefer them going off the menu, or do you enjoy having that creative ability to create whatever they want based off of what they tell you? Oh, I mean, there there, there is a time and a place for all of it, and so you know, like the default is like, I am always happy when people order on the menu, you know, and and actually for the most part, like, anytime you go to a new place, order on the menu, mm-hmm. order the things that people wanted to be showcased by. After that, like, you know, if, if, if we're winding down on a Thursday night and you already had one or two cocktails, like, and you asked me, like, hey, I, I, I tried the hydrocar and the south side, like, I don't know, I like both of those, but do you have anything with rum that's kind of like them? Like, then that's a fun game. Sure. But, you know, please, for the love of God, <laughs> if I'm three deep at a bar, please just order off the menu. <laughs> of... And like not in a mean way, but to, there, there, like there's a time and a place for all of it. And sure. like I, I loved having those conversations, and I love having the chance to play. But it's also like, it helps me to play with you as well if I know where you're kicking off from. And if you kick off on the menu with me, it's easier to take it. Like, oh, have you heard of this classic? Oh, so that cocktail you just like is actually a riff off of this. Have you, you never had that? Oh, we should make that. Like, you should know this cocktail that's an old school thing that. You know, because like every all cocktails are a different derivative of something else. Like, I got cocktail books over there that are just super fun to go through. Like even like the French seventy five is like here's a great example. French seventy five. The French someone at one point told you the French seventy five was named after a French gun from World War One. Well, no, 
the French 75 is named after a French cocktail that was named after a French gun from World War One. And the thing is, like, so there's originally a cocktail, if you go far enough back, like I have a book from, like, 1917 where there's a cocktail just called the 75. It's Calvados. It's Calvados and absinthe and grenadine and lemon juice. Like, the sparkling wine hasn't even found its way in, and you go cocktail book decade by decade, each one of these ingredients starts changing out until you get to about 1930, the Savoy cocktail book gets printed, and as far as I know, if someone listens to this and corrects me, I will take the correction. But I think the first printed version of French 75 is Savoy, and that's 1931, I think. But, like, every cocktail starts somewhere, and they're all derivatives, and people add one thing, take one thing out. Like, even, you know, like, on our menu, like, almost all the original cocktails, like, they probably started with something I already knew. They started with either, like, a, you know, the base or the formula of a cocktail that I like. Like, for, for instance, um, one of my favorite fall cocktails on the menu is called the Harvest Reviver, which even in its name is a nod to the Corpse Reviver, which I think is a cool mm-hmm. cocktail. By the time this cocktail got made, like, it's a slight homage. Like, the ratios are all over, and it's got more ingredients than a Corpse Reviver, but, like, that was the origin of where it came from. Of, like, it originally started out as a Corpse Reviver riff. If you like that cocktail... I wouldn't mind just making you a corpse reviver because that's a damn good sure. cocktail. And it's got absinthe in it. <laughs> <laughs> you love that. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Unabashedly. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I have a type, and it's people who want to drink absinthe. <laughs> yeah. No shame. <laughs> so is there a history? So <clears throat> a lot of our friends and family love old fashions because they there's this, the side of – there's two sides of the coin. The one side is – I'm going to order this because I'm confident that this is well-known. I'm okay with the ingredients, but I also I feel like an astute individual because I can confidently order an old-fashioned in a bar. Then the other people that order it are because they like to see the different intricate mm-hmm. nuances between different OFs. Yeah. So, and even calling it an OF is something different than just going to a bar and saying old-fashioned. Is there a, do you know the history behind the old-fashioned or... Kind so, of like the story behind it. I can I can kind of give you it as I know it, and you know, I've read a lot of cocktail books, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw this out before someone tells me that there's a different origin of a lot of these. There's a lot of conjecture in the history of cocktails, and you know, even just go to go to the term cocktail. There's a lot of conjecture on how that term even came to exist. There's some really fun ones, including stuffing a piece of ginger up a horse's butt. Literally, the term cocktail. Uh, yeah, no, seriously. You can go down like you can go down the rabbit hole of where the term cocktail even comes from, and you'll come up with three different stories. Yeah, sorry. I, th- th- that's just like all right. Now I have to acknowledge that what that <laughs> that's a weird thing to say, and then just move on. So the the story basically goes that you know a lot of cocktails, you know, whether they were curative, whether they were revivers, like all these different things. They were meant to kind of perk you up from being sick or for, you know, being hungover from the night before or whatever. And so apparently the story goes that there's kind of an old habit of like when you had an older horse, if you were kind of like trying to sell them in a shysty way, you'd stick a piece of ginger up their butt before you went to the sale. They'd, the, it would actually cock their tail up. They'd perk up. They'd bounce around like a young buck. Mm. That piece of ginger was an early reviver. And then some of the earliest cocktails 
had ginger in them as that curative, reviving sort of thing. And so one of the stories is that it adopted the name of that habit of adding ginger to something. Maybe true, maybe not, but it's actually my favorite it's of the stories. Yeah, it's a good Whether story. or not that one's true or not, it's still my favorite. <laughs> it's true. You said it on the podcast. It's true. <laughs> but uh, the, the old-fashioned in particular, um, one of the earliest cocktail books is, you know, Jerry Thomas, the Bon Vivant's companion. Like, it's been a while since I looked at the date, but I'm like, I want to say it's like 1877 or something. Maybe it's 1887. Like, it's somewhere in that ballpark. And... Um, in like the first or second page, you're going to hit a cocktail called whiskey cocktail. And this is about one of the earliest recorded printings of the whiskey cocktail. In the whiskey cocktail, you're going to have uh, some whiskey, some sugar, and some bitters. There's your old fashioned, mm-hmm. the whiskey cocktail. But the reason why it's called the whiskey cocktail, why it's called an old fashioned, and why we eventually adopt that, is about one or two recipes under the whiskey cocktail. They suddenly, big change in the world, the improved whiskey cocktail. That one little line, the, the first grand new naming of a cocktail before, you know, we were naming things last word and, you know, monkey paw, <laughs> like, like the improved whiskey cocktail, which led to a whole new generation of old timers going, ah, I don't want that new stuff. Give me an old fashioned whiskey cocktail. And that little line about the improved whiskey cocktail and the, the few cocktails later, the Saratoga and all these other riffs on it causes a generation of people to start asking for it the old-fashioned way. And eventually the old-fashioned just becomes the whiskey cocktail. Or wow. the whiskey cocktail eventually becomes the old-fashioned. So that's the story as I know it. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Okay. I have, <laughs> I have to tell you the... The worst old-fashioned I ever had was out of the state. I was in a different state. I asked for an old-fashioned. Please tell me Wisconsin. No. Oh, because I love the Wisconsin old-fashioned. Okay, yeah, no. But it's an, it's an abomination for good. <laughs> no. Don't hate was, me, Wisconsin. This is the, yeah, this is just atrocious. Um, the old-fashioned was sugar packets, four of them, in the bottom of the glass to start. And I'm watching this, like... You know what? I don't want this anymore. <laughs> you could save me this. Like, just please. And she finished the cocktail. Um, barely any cherry juice. Dropped the cherry on top. And it was... It wasn't a cherry stem. It was the cherry stem with, like, its Siamese twin. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, here we go. I took a sip. Obviously, it was terrible. I finally got down to not even... I mean, nowhere's near like a quarter inch into the drink. And I'm like, can can you just splash some more bourbon into this? Like, help me <laughs> just do something for help. And everybody else at the bar is like doing one of the peering over across the bar. Like, are you really going to finish this? And I, out of respect, I finished it. But I walked out of there doing like the, oh, yeah. and the head tilt. I'm like, this is just awful. So how do you guys make your old fashioned? Uh, so other than the old-fashioned way because I well, so we do it the, the <laughs> super old-fashioned way and like Don't get me wrong like it, it, you know Like when I said the Wisconsin thing like I will make you the version of the old-fashioned you want Okay, so like look up Wisconsin old-fashioned sometime. It is everything you think you don't want about an old-fashioned <laughs> And like I've made it for friends who are very like deep in the cocktail scene and I've literally told them, I'm like, if you can get a quarter of the way through that and not want to drink it, I'll, I'll make you another one. 
but I will bet right now you're going to keep continue drinking it. And like so, so the Wisconsin old fashioned, like if you go to some places in Wisconsin, just ask for an old fashioned. Like first off, you're getting brandy. You're getting brandy. It's not whiskey. You're getting brandy, and it's going to be the fruit cup. It's going to be the fruit cup. It might come in a pint glass, and it might be topped with Sprite and a whole shitload of Angostura bitters. And you think that you're like, this is too sweet, and it's awful, and I don't want it. And it's kind of like someone made a childhood cola out of your old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really good. Really? It, it, but that's the thing. It's like, you think you don't want it, but you're like, man, if I had just been like out for a run or like mowing the lawn, and I wanted an old-fashioned, like, this is the old-fashioned I want. Sure. It is like the old-fashioned's like refreshing cousin who you don't always want, but it's like good that one time. <laughs> um... Detour. But so, like, you know, <laughs> I'm just defending the Wisconsin old fashioned because sometimes those weird ones where you're like, I don't think you're doing the right thing can actually work out fine. Um, but uh, so if you if you get an old fashioned here, like we are true to form, like the original just whiskey cocktail. So uh, I'm a I'm a big proponent of the sugar cube. I understand why plenty of people make the case that you know you should use like an oleo or just a richer like yep. yeah. I kind of like the little granules that never fully dissolve. It's just like that little like sign of life that like someone interacted with this before it was given to you. It's like it's like that it's like when you look at a piece of pottery and it's got those little imperfections like if someone tells me that you should never use a sugar cube like I get your point. You're right. It, like it doesn't fully dissolve, but it's just cool. Um but so sugar cube um we have a house old-fashioned bitters that are aged in, like so they're actually 36 different herbs and botanicals it's sort of a proprietary blend that took me several years to make uh it takes me about three months to make one batch of the bitters and then they're aged a year in um a mini oak barrel hmm. yeah how much of that do you have in stock at a time uh i make about eight liter batches of it at a time so that by time we've gone through a year's worth of old-fashioned bitters there's the next one so you know, there's a lot of old-fashioned bitters in this building right now. <laughs> um, Do you, are you able to sell bottles of just the bitters for, like, people to take home? Or no. do you want to keep it here? Yeah, Good, cool. yeah, Good for, for you. you. I know. Good yeah, for you. Awesome. I know. They're going to be like plankton uh, trying to figure out exactly what's in this. <laughs> yeah, the oh, secret I mean, formula. Like, <laughs> honestly, like, in, you know, like, I, I've always been in the camp of, like, I don't make a big deal about telling people that we make our own bitters because, like, when you go to a cocktail bar and someone tells you that, thing, that they make something a house from scratch, like the the impressive thing is like the impressive thing is not being told mm-hmm. that something is made from scratch. The impressive thing is finding out that the thing you're enjoying is made from scratch. Right, and that's the reason why like I only really tend to have that conversation when someone's like, "Man, this old fashioned's great. Like, what bitters do you use? I want to buy those." And then like now it's impressive. Yeah. I've been to so many cocktail bars where, like, someone's like, oh, we make the, our, our bitters ourselves, and, I'm, and I get the cocktail. I'm like, I wish you wouldn't. And, like, you know, not every not everything because you handcrafted is a good idea. Sure. There are, there are, like, honestly, anyone who is considering making their own bitters, don't. It's tedious and takes forever. And most of the things I made were awful. And it took me years to come up with that recipe. There are companies that have spent their lives making bitters, and they're probably going to do a better job. Yeah, so what actually made you start making it? Because this is a difficult process. And were you ever going to give up? Oh, uh, no. I'm, I, I'm, I'm entirely stubborn. <laughs> uh, oh, like, I, I may... 
I may like step back a little bit, but like you know, like I, I, years later, I'll still be working on it. I just don't work on it as much. Um, like there's a there, there's plenty of projects just in this bar and mason jars all over of like some someday it'll get right, and then I just do it again. I'm like, nah, that's not right. And then like I move do some other things, and then we have a cocktail menu, and then we have like five other events to do, and then I find that mason jar. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's still not right. <laughs> um, but uh, originally it came from making my own vermouth. And so, so years ago, a, a different cocktail program, like when we were talking about having distributors, like I have a lot of distributors I uh, have access to here. But I was running a cocktail bar where I didn't have a lot of distributors. And so like I'd go to other people's cocktail programs and they had all these interesting ingredients that I couldn't get. So I started trying to make them. And so, like, I needed a vermouth that was more bitter. So I just started figuring out how to make vermouth, and then I made a more bitter vermouth, and then I made a citrus-heavy vermouth, and then I made my own dry vermouth. And as that went on, I then started tweaking those recipes, and when I got here, my predecessor here, Gilmet, made all the bitters. Mm. So I started making all the bitters, but then I started realizing, like, I had been... I had jars of herbs. Like, I wasn't making bitters back then. I was making vermouth and syrup and stuff like that. Like, I was still playing. Um, and I then started taking a couple of that, that, that very bitter, heavy vermouth recipe and then just started taking the bitters higher and higher in it and tweaking it towards an old-fashioned recipe. And then, and then that version sucked. And then the next version sucked. And then the next version sucked. And the next version was kind of okay. And then, you know, three years later, I actually had a recipe for old-fashioned bitters. And since then, like, it's been relatively untouched now for about four years. Uh, wow. it's, it's the most complicated recipe I ever made, but it's, it's cool. And it's one of those things, like, I probably should have stopped and given up much earlier. I'm glad I didn't. But, but it, you know, like, like I said, like, the, the, the book that got me kind of tied to this in the first place was that drunken botanist. Like, just all, like, kind of like the botany and, like, the history, that's one of my favorite reasons. I mean, that's the reason for absinthe is that, you know, like the absinthe, like everything we talk about with it and like even the luching, like that's herbs. Mm -hmm. That's an ingredient reacting. And so as I've done this more and like as I've gone deeper into it, like I do spend a lot of time and like the first thing people want to talk about is the flavors. But sometimes I'm just personally really interested in like the list of ingredients in something. Sure. I want to know what plants in there. You're a fascinating person. <laughs> you really are. I, you make everything. You're just so passionate about this industry. It's so it. exciting to see. Which, I mean, if anyone has been to Hydraulic before, you can see that passion in the space, in the bar, in what you make. It's You're just a fascinating person. <laughs> Thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, we are at an hour. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I... We can talk for hours more. Oh, I, no, no. I, we covered a lot of them. But, oh, yeah, go for it. No, I was I was going to say people have to figure out, like, when they can come. So we yeah, should true. probably yeah. touch on, like, yeah. what hours are, where people can find you, and then whatever else you wanted to add. So, um, so for the most part, we are an operation that runs Tuesday through Saturday. A lot of those special events, like, keep an eye on our Instagram and things like that, like, those special events, we, we fill a lot of Sundays and other occasionally Mondays with them. But daily operations, Tuesday through Saturday, uh, we open up at 4 o'clock. And then the, um, 
Depending on the time of year, the hours will change a little bit on the closing time, but the kitchen typically closes about 10 o'clock. In summer, we tend to stay open a little bit later with the hours and things. And the, the bar the bar usually closes about an hour or so after the kitchen, but, you know. Things on, happen. On, on a Friday night in the middle of summer, like, we might be here till midnight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is your Instagram? Oh, um, just Hydraulic Hearth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nothing special. Um, my personal Instagram is booze and cups. Nice. And that's booze in cups. Uh, like what I do for a living is just put booze in cups. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I love it, man. Adam, thank you so much for being oh, on. We really guys. appreciate uh, it. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Everybody, you, if you haven't come to Hydraulic, what are you doing at this point? But <laughs> please come because this is such an awesome environment. Some amazing food awesome pizza and new menu items and then just whatever cocktail you want so hit up hydraulic and then say hello to adam thank you very much thank you very much guys cheers cheers to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.